Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So uh, this morning, I want to start a little bit different. Um, I actually want to start by showing you a commercial. It's a commercial for a drug. And um, I want to see if you notice any side effects to this drug as a commercial place. Now, I, I do have to tell you, we did not edit this commercial in any way, shape, or form at all. You can go on YouTube and, and you'll see. We didn't edit it at all. But anyways, here it is. We know a place where tossing and turning have given way to sleeping, where sleepless nights yield to restful sleep, and Lunesta can help you get there like it has for so many people before. When taking Lunesta, don't drive or operate machinery until you feel fully awake, walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Abnormal behaviors may include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, or confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. Alcohol may increase these risks. Allergic reactions such as tongue or throat swelling occur rarely and may be fatal. Side effects may include unpleasant taste, headache, dizziness, and morning drowsiness. Ask your doctor if Lunesta is right for you. Then get Lunesta for $0 at lunesta.com. There's a land of restful sleep. We can help you go there on the wings of Lunesta. Did you notice any? Any side effects? You know, driving and not remembering it? Uh, that's kind of scary. Uh, your throat swelling shut could be fatal. Uh, I think my favorite is it says it could cause hallucinations, and it has a glowing butterfly flying around within the commercial. You know, when Trish and I first saw this commercial years ago, we thought to ourselves, like, I don't care if they're giving it to us for free. Like, they couldn't pay us to take this drug. Like, who in the world would take a drug like this with all of the side effects? And then it occurred to me, a person who would take this is a person who is desperate. A person who loses so much sleep and it is so painful and so agonizing that the risks of death make it worth taking this medication. You see, the reality is, is all of us in this world are going to get sick. All of us are going to die. And, and it is misery for us. And, and we will do just about anything to bring healing to our bodies. I don't know if you know this, but our grass, gross domestic product, 20% um, of our gross domestic product goes to healthcare. And so one-fifth of our income goes to healthcare, just trying to alleviate the pain in our lives and prolong life as long as we can. Now, I'm not bringing this up to minimize chronic pain that you are in. I know many of you have chronic pain, and I weep with you and for you and pray for you. I'm not doing this to minimize death because death is sad. It is an enemy of ours. It is a reminder that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. 
But the question I want to ask today is how can we have hope in the dark shadows of disease and death? How can we have hope in the darkness, the dark shadows of disease and death? And the short answer to this question is Jesus heals. If you would please don't open up to Mark chapter 5. It's page 840 in the Red Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you will need a Bible uh, today. Feel free to get up and go grab one from the back and bring it back to your seat. We will be there. Keep the Bibles open if you would. We'll be going through it um, throughout the entirety of the sermon. Just prior to this passage, if you remember, Jesus has shown that he has authority over creation. They're on the boat and he calls the wind and the waves to be still. Jesus has then shown that he has authority over demons. They go to Gentile country, and there's a man possessed with 2,000 demons, at least, at minimum. And he casts them out into some pigs, which go into the sea. And so Jesus has authority and power over creation, authority and power over demons. But what about sickness? What about death? I mean, have you ever prayed for healing for yourself or for someone else? And there seems to be no healing? Have you ever prayed that a child will make it through and they end up dying? And, and so the question is, is there really any hope in Jesus in the midst of sickness and even death? And so we're going to look today at verses um, all the way through verse 43, but we're just going to start at the first because it's a longer passage today. And so let's start by looking at verses 21 through 26 in Mark chapter 5. Mark 5 verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded with almost every prayer request that there is suffering, that there is disease, and that there is death in our world. And it breaks our heart, Lord. And so God, pray that through today's passage, you would give us hope in the shadow of darkness, of disease, and death. That you would give us your perspective on disease and death, that we might live with the hope of heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna approach this passage a little differently than normal. I just wanna take some time to kind of understand these people in this passage. First, I wanna look at Jarius. Uh, if you look at verse 21 with me again, it says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, uh, back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And so there's a ton of people. And then we read this. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at Jesus' 
feet. Again, imagine this picture. Jesus comes back from Gentile country, back into Jewish country, maybe to the city of Capernaum, his home base, and he is greeted with just hordes of people that are coming to hear from Jesus. And, and as he is there and he's talking to these people, maybe teaching these people, there is a prominent man in the community named Jairus who comes through the crowd and he falls down at the feet of Jesus, begging him to save his little girl. Now, what we find out about Jairus is that he is a ruler of the synagogue. This means that he organizes the religious life in the community. He is a prominent individual in that community. And he is most likely a Pharisee, which is a type of Jew that is very serious. We'll just put it that way. And if you remember that the Jews in general, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they don't like Jesus very much. Matter of fact, if you remember, as Jesus is healing people, they come and they make an accusation that Jesus is casting out demons because Jesus is, in fact, the prince of demons. He's Beelzebub. They don't like Jesus very much. And so Jairus may have had this opinion of Jesus, that he was demon-possessed, that he wasn't a good guy. But at the very least, Jairus was a part of a community of religious leaders that didn't like Jesus. But all of that changes when his little girl gets sick. When his little girl is about to die, he gets desperate. And he comes in front of all of these people, all of these witnesses, and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he begs Jesus. He's begging him, he's desperate. Jesus, come and heal my daughter. You know, I can identify with Jairus. I have a 12-year-old daughter and if she was sick, if she was about to die, I would do anything. I would embarrass myself in any way that her life could be spared. And so we see this picture of, of Jairus. But we also see a picture of this woman. Look at verse 24 with me. It says, and he went with him, Jesus, uh, Jesus went with Jairus, and a great crowd followed him and a thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so this woman had experienced menstrual bleeding for 12 years years. And in great desperation, she has spent all of her money on medical bills to pay for doctors who did not make her better, but in fact made her worse. And so here we have these two people, Jairus and this woman. And they are at the end of their rope. They do not know what to do because of this chronic pain, this chronic suffering, even this potential death. And so at the end of their rope, they finally come to Jesus. Maybe you are here today and you have chronic suffering in your life of some way, shape, or form. And the doctors say, we can't figure it out. Or there's no medication to fix this that we know of. We don't know what to do. Maybe you have a loved one that is approaching death and, and you're thinking, Jesus, help me. Like even, even people who don't believe in God will pray when someone is very sick or dying. And so here we see these folks have the same question that we do. Is there any hope? Is there any hope under the, the heavy shadow of chronic disease and death? And what we will find in this passage is that indeed there is great hope for those who come to Jesus. And there's two reasons. The first is because Jesus heals us holistically. 
Okay, Jesus heals us holistically. Look at verse 25 with me again. I'll read through verse 32. It says, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the report about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even the garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? (laughs) And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So again, Context, religious leader, prominent member of the community comes to Jesus, says, come help me, my daughter is about to die. Jesus has this procession of people. I mean, Jesus was like a rock star. People just clung to him and and, and came to him. And so you have this huge train of people heading towards this leader's house. And this woman pushes her way into this crowd and then through this crowd to get to Jesus just to touch his clothing. And when she does, somehow power comes out of Jesus. I don't get this. I've never felt power go out of me. But power goes out of Jesus and she is immediately healed. And then something startling happens. Jesus says, who touched me? He stops the procession. He stops Jairus. He stops the apostles. He stops everyone to ask this question, who touched me? And the the disciples are like, Jesus, like everybody's touching you. It's very crowded here. What are you talking about, Jesus? But then it tells us that Jesus looked around in verse 32 to see who had done it. This this term for looked around um, means to look intently. Like you're looking for, you know, if you lost your wallet, you would look for it, right? It's not simply like, oh, where is, okay, move on. No, he's looking for this woman. And he's not going to leave until he finds this woman, until he finds out from whom the power went out of him into. And the question is, why? Why would Jesus stop the procession? I mean, Jairus' daughter is about to die. Why does Jesus pause to find this woman? Well, look at verse 33. It says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembled and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So why does this woman come forward shaking and afraid? Well, partially it's because she had just experienced a glimpse of the power of Jesus. She knew that she had been healed. She felt that she had been healed. She had felt the power of Jesus. And so she has now a new awe for Jesus. But the other reason why she is coming to Jesus shaking and afraid is because she has done something wrong. You see, in that culture, a woman who is bleeding is considered ceremonially unclean. And she's not to go out in public without announcing it to other people. So like a leper, she would have to go around and saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And people would stay away from her because of that, because it would make, her, make them ceremonially unclean if they touched her. You know, I think during this past season with COVID, um, we have recognized how detrimental it can be to our souls to be in isolation, to not, to not touch people, know people, see people eye to eye. And that was for a few days or weeks or months. Here is this woman, 12 years, she has never felt an embrace. For 12 years, no one has shaken her hand. 
For 12 years, no one has put an arm around her shoulder. You can imagine, you can imagine how ashamed she might be of who she is. You can't imagine how isolated she might feel. And so Jesus stops this train of people and he says, who touched me? You know, this woman had come and, and everyone she bumped into the crowd, she made ceremonially unclean. And then, and then she even had the audacity to go to the famous one, the one that everyone's gathered around, to touch Jesus, which would make Jesus ceremonially unclean. And the only explanation for why she would do this is because it was her hope that Jesus' cleanness was cleaner than her uncleanness. That Jesus' cleanness could trump her uncleanness. And in fact, she was right. Jesus, the clean one, made this unclean woman clean. Jesus has reversed the curse. The first time in the history of the world that an unclean person didn't make a person clean, but the opposite way around. I think I illustrated it like this a few weeks ago. Um, it's like if you had a white t-shirt and a mud ball, right? If you had a mud ball and a white t-shirt and you take that mud ball and you put it against the white t-shirt, which one's gonna win? The mud ball, right? 100 out of 100 times, the mud ball is gonna make the shirt unclean. What if there was this magical t-shirt that made mud balls clean. I don't even know what that would look like. That would be beyond our imagination. It's a silly example, but that's what's happening here. For the first time in the history of the world, an unclean person is not making a person clean, but rather Jesus, the clean one, is making this unclean woman clean again. You know, some of you might be here today feeling very unclean because of uh, of sin in your life or because someone has sinned against you or maybe even because of some false shame. But you're ashamed of yourself. You're irritable. You can't look people in the eyes. You get, you get passive because of your shame. And deep down inside, you just feel dirty. The good news is, if you come to Jesus, he will make you clean. That is the good news for this woman. It is the good news for us. And if you see in this passage, she comes to Jesus. She, she lays it all out. She tells him the whole truth. Maybe it's time for you. Maybe it's time for you to really confess the deep sin struggles of your heart, your shame to Jesus. He knows it anyways. He's not going to be surprised. He's going to be like, what? You did that? He's God. He knows. Come. Confess. Jesus will make you clean. Now, there's a lot more to this story. And so we're camping out here for a little bit. It might seem long, but this is really important on this first point. In this passage in Mark, something that's very interesting is that we have two stories in one. Uh, we have Jairus that begins the story and ends the story. And then we have the woman in the middle. So this is kind of like a sandwich, okay, with the woman in the middle. And, um, and, and what's interesting about this is that the reason why this author has written this is because, well, first off, this is how it happened. But also it's trying to show us something about the heart of Jesus that is very important. And the reason why these stories are sandwiched together is because it wants us to contrast Jairus with this woman. Okay, And so we're going to do that here. But, but as we contrast Jairus and this woman, we will see something beautiful about the heart of Jesus. I don't know if you notice this, but in this passage, Jairus has a name. It says his name several times in this passage because Jairus is a very prominent and important person in this community. But the woman has no name, not that we know of. 
Jairus is well off. He owns his own house. This woman is broke and homeless. Jairus has had a family for at least 12 years with this daughter. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years and been apart from her family for that long. Jairus is a person of religious importance in the community. This woman is a throwaway person that has been exploited by her community. Jairus approaches Jesus from the front. This woman approaches Jesus from the back. Jairus is ceremonially clean. This woman is ceremonially unclean. Jairus' situation is dire. His daughter is about to die. This woman's situation was chronic. She could have waited two more hours to be healed. And so the question for me is this. Why did Jesus stop the parade? Why did Jesus stop the convoy to look for this woman? I mean, she already got what she wanted, right? She wanted to be healed physically, and that happened. So why does Jesus stop the convoy? Well, it's because Jesus loves this woman so much that Jesus did not just want to heal the woman physically. He wanted to heal the woman relationally and spiritually. He wanted to heal the woman holistically. And it's evident by how he responds here in verse 34. Look there with me. I'm going to read through it twice because it's pregnant with meaning. Verse 34 says, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so Jesus first addresses her. She's expecting condemnation upon her for making him unclean. But instead, he calls her daughter. He's saying, yes, your family may have abandoned you, but you are a part of the family of God. You are a daughter of the living God. And then he goes on and says, your faith has made you well. The Greek word for well here is sozin, uh, which can be translated well or heal or save. And so I think what Jesus is communicating here is, yes, your, feel, your, your faith has made you physically well, but it has also made you spiritually well. It has saved you for all eternity. And then Jesus says to her this benediction. He says, go in peace. Go in peace. In peace with your God, in peace with the people around you, in peace in your own soul, and be healed of your disease. And so why does Jesus stop this parade? It's because in Jesus' economy, this poor, nameless woman is of the same value as Jairus and his daughter. You know, there's a story of a, a couple months ago, and I'm not sure I remember all the details correctly, but a couple months ago, there was a, a family who was newer to church, and I was getting to know them and talking to them and asking them their story. And, and one of the things they shared was that they had visited a doctor um, because one of their children was ill with some disease. I can't remember what it was, to be honest with you. But, but they said, yeah, we didn't, we didn't know that doctor was a Christian until we came to church here. And, uh, and, then, and then she told me the story uh, of they took their child in, they had a bunch of tests done on the child, and then it was time for them to meet with the doctor to go over the tests. And when they met with the doctor, she, he asked her something that she was not expecting. He asked her, how's mom doing? <laughs> how's mom doing? And she's just overwhelmed with emotion and broke down crying. And she said, what kind of doctor does that? What kind of doctor asks mom, how are you doing? What kind of doctor cares for a person so holistically? Well, it's someone who has experienced the holistic healing of Jesus. Body, soul, 
spirit and wants to show that love and healing to others. In a commentary on this passage, James Edwards says this. He says, the persistence of Jesus in discovering who touched him rivals the woman's persistence in reaching Jesus. She wants a cure, however, a something, whereas Jesus desires a personal encounter with someone. He is not content to dispatch a miracle. He wants to encounter a person. In the kingdom of God, miracle leads to meeting. Discipleship is not simply getting our needs met. It is being in the presence of Jesus, being known by him, and following him. Friends, I want to make sure you hear this very clearly. If you think no one in the world has time for you, Jesus has time for you. If you think that you are not very important in the eyes of the world, Jesus would stop a parade for you. If you feel unclean and others think you are unclean, Jesus can make you clean. What is the hope in the midst of our despair of sickness and even death? It is that Jesus doesn't just want to heal us physically. He wants to heal us holistically, spiritually and relationally with God and with one another. And so that is the first hope we have. That's the longest point. But, but we also see not only does, do we have hope because Jesus heals us holistically, but Jesus also heals us eternally. Look at verse 34 and 35 with me again. It says, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Could you imagine if you were in this man's spot? You're trying to get Jesus to hurry, to come to your house, to heal your daughter. And here is Jesus just kind of taking his time saying, hey, let me look for this woman. I want to talk to this woman. I want to communicate with this woman. And now his daughter is dead. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be pretty angry at Jesus. I'd be like, Jesus, why did you wait so long? Why did you go so slow? Of course, he wouldn't vocalize this in front of everybody, but I'm sure he was feeling that tension in the heart. Tim Keller points out that if this was today, Jesus would be sued for malpractice, right? He took care of the wrong patient first. He took care of the chronic patient instead of the emergency. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said about the girl dying, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Again, we see why these stories are sandwiched together because just prior to this, what did Jairus witness? He witnessed a homeless woman who believed and was healed. And so now Jesus is saying to Jairus, be like the homeless woman. Be like the woman who has no name, no reputation. Be like the woman that no one seems to care about. Be like her. Do not fear, only believe. Verse 37, and Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. That's his inner circle of three disciples. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Again, there you see they're giving his position. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So this prayer service has turned into a funeral. And people are grieving and crying. Uh, they probably even had some professional grievers come in to, to, to wail. And I know that seems weird to us, but literally yesterday I heard they still do this in Japan. Um, so they bring people in to, to wail at a funeral, whatever that's like. Um, and then verse 39 it said, and when he, Jesus, had entered, he said to them, 
why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. That is, they, they scorned him. They were mocking him like, Jesus, you are out of touch with reality, right? Like this girl is dead. We've seen a lot of death in our life. We know when someone is dead. This girl is dead, dead. Continue, says, but he put them all outside and took the child, child's father and mother and those who were with him, the three disciples, and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. This word Talitha is not normal word for a little girl. That's why it's spelled the way it is here in this passage. It's a term of endearment. Means sweetheart or honey or dear, or as I say, princess. Again, you see Jesus' tender compassion towards this child. And then verse 41 through 43, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. How could you not be? Could you imagine being there, seeing this little girl raised from the dead? Verse 43, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And so he, he has them give him something to eat because he's caring for her tangible needs, but also to show that this is not a hallucination. Hallucinations don't eat food and make it disappear showing that she is truly, really raised from the dead. And he tells him not to tell anyone because if you remember when he was in Gentile country and he, he, he cast the demons out of the man, he said, go tell everyone because no one knew about Jesus. But when he comes to the Jewish side, Jesus can't even move around. He's so popular. Everyone's coming to him to be healed. And if people find out that Jesus can not only heal people, but raise them from the dead, I mean, everyone is gonna be their grand, bringing their grandma's bones and say, Jesus, I miss grandma, raise her from the dead. And so Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Because Jesus' main task is to come and proclaim the kingdom of God and accomplish the kingdom of God. And he wouldn't be able to do that because his popularity would just be so overwhelming. And so another question that we're faced with here is why did Jesus let this little girl die? I mean, Jesus could have healed her from afar. He's done that before. He could do that again. He didn't have to go to heal this girl, but Jesus decided to go and Jesus let this girl die. There's a similar story like this, if you remember, in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. If you remember, couriers come to Jesus and they say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus says something very peculiar, and it says something very peculiar. It says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus stayed where he was so that Lazarus would die. But why? Why does Jesus let Lazarus die? Why does Jesus let this little girl die? Well, in the story of Lazarus, we read that Jesus says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, so that you may believe. What is it that Jesus wants to, us to believe? What is it about these deaths that we're supposed to have faith and that we're supposed to believe in. Well, you see in this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus gives a command to this girl and the command is to arise, arise from the dead. This is the same term Jesus uses in later in Mark to talk about his own resurrection. This is the same term used in 1 Corinthians 15 when it talks about our resurrection in heaven for all eternity. And so Jesus 
allows this woman to die, this girl to die, allows Lazarus to die so that you might believe, so that I might believe that Jesus actually has power over death. Do you believe? Do you believe that in Jesus, though you die, you shall live forever? Uh, I was listening to a sermon on this passage by a pastor named Sandy Wilson, and he tells a story of a well-known Southern Presbyterian pastor and preacher in the mid-19th century named James Hanley Thornwell. He was a pastor in Columbia, South Carolina, and he had a daughter uh, who was at the age of being engaged and getting ready to get married. And so they sent out invitations all over the country, inviting people to come, be a part of this wedding celebration. Um, But something happened the week before the wedding. The Monday before his daughter was about to be wed, uh, she fell deathly ill. And so uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, it was reported that Thornwell came to his daughter's bedside. And he prayed over her and he said this. He said, Father in heaven, please take up the cause of my daughter. Please heal her and enable her to enjoy the privilege of being married to the fine Christian gentleman that awaits to wed her. And reportedly, the daughter was well enough to interrupt her pastor father and say, Papa, how can you pray that way? I'm already engaged to my Savior. And he waits for me, and he has prepared a place for me, and I long to be with him. And if it is his pleasure that I come to him now, please don't pray that I will wait. Well, before the wedding came, the daughter passed away. She died. And because there was no social media or phones or anything, no evite, they couldn't, they couldn't tell people to stay home. They, there was no way to communicate to them. And so these people got in their carriages and they traveled to Columbia, South Carolina. And instead of coming for a wedding, they were coming for a funeral. And at the funeral, this daughter laid in the casket, dressed in her wedding gown ready to meet her groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on her tomb to this day, it reads these words, as one adorned for her husband. See, why did this little girl die in Mark 5? Why did, why, did, why did Lazarus die? It's so that we can have hope in the face of death, in the shadow of death, that the same Jesus who rose them from the dead will raise us from the dead as well. That there is a day coming where Jesus will call us by same and say, Talitha kumi, daughter arise, son arise to everlasting life. In the face of disease and death, remember the example of this bleeding woman, the story of this dead girl and the command of Jesus to the synagogue ruler, do not fear, only believe. Let me end with this. Um, I heard this week that, and I I haven't checked it all out, but I've heard that, that in the gospels, in the four gospels about Jesus, whenever somebody comes and asks Jesus to heal them, every single time he does. Anyone and everyone that comes to Jesus and asks for healing by faith, when they come by faith and ask him for healing, he heals them every single time. Now you might be thinking, oh, I wish that was true today. How wonderful that would be if that was true today. The good news is it is true today. You see, for the Christian, the question is not if Jesus will heal us. The question is when will Jesus heal us? 
You see, Jesus may heal you in this life, which the Bible says is but a vapor, but we know for certain that Jesus will heal us fully and completely in heaven for all eternity. And so the question is not if you will be healed, it is when you will be healed. 1 Corinthians 15 says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. You see, friends, if you believe Then at the cross, Jesus took on your uncleanness. He took on your shame. He took on your sin. And Jesus buried it in the ground and rose from the grave to give us newness of life, not only today, but for all eternity. Some of you here today, I know, suffer with chronic illness. But all of us here today are going to die. And Jesus says to us, Do not fear, only believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this story, for this passage of scripture that shows your tender care for people who may not feel loved or appreciated or valued, but also to show us and to prove to us that you really do have power over disease and even death itself. And so God, as we, as we come under those heavy shadows of disease and death, may we do so with the hope of heaven, knowing that this life is just extremely temporary, but our healing and our wholeness with you will last for all eternity. Remind us of these great truths. Help us to believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.